This is episode 277 of the AWS podcast, released on November 18th, 2018. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS podcast. Simon Leisha here with you. Great to have you back for a very special episode just before reInvent. So I'm going to try and recap as much as possible before the excitement of reInvent. And if you're going to be there, I'd ask you to stop by the AWS swag counter at the Venetian and let them know that you're an AWS podcast listener and you can score a pretty cool AWS podcast pin. Uh, stocks are limited, so get there early. And uh, I'll try and place also some uh, AWS podcast stickers around the place at various AWS stands. And of course, if you see me wandering the halls of reInvent, uh, please come up to me and say g'day and uh, I'll have a supply of stickers with me. So uh, if you come and say hello, you can get a sticker. Uh, which will be fun. There'll be coverage each day as well, so I'm going to try and publish at least one episode a day with uh, a roundup of things. There'll also be coverage of uh, Midnight Madness, some of the keynote excitement, and a bunch of other cool things. I don't want to give it all away, so you can have something to look forward to. So I'm going to do my very, very best to bring you a lot of colour, excitement, atmosphere, and content from the reInvent week. Uh, if you're not there, I want to make it feel like you are there. So that's, that's the goal anyway. Also, I've had some feedback about the update shows that we want to make them uh, a little shorter if possible. I know that an hour is getting up there, isn't it? And uh, I feel the same way. I want to try and make them as uh, as succinct as possible. So we'll try something in this particular episode where for some components, I'll simply just breeze through them pretty quickly and others will dive deeply into. I will see how that works as well. You can always send me your feedback, podcast at amazon.com because that really helps me understand what's working for you out there in listener land. So let's start with some compute updates. So we're really excited to announce that in 2020, there'll be a new Europe region. This will be the Milan region, and it'll have three availability zones. This will be our sixth region in Europe, and this joins the existing regions in France, Germany, Ireland, and the UK, and also the new region in Sweden that's going to launch later this year. So this gives you even more choices about uh, where you'd like to locate your workload. This is great for a lot of companies, there's plenty of uh, customers in Italy who are already using AWS, organizations like Ferrero, like Vodafone Italy, the European Space Agency, uh, etc. So lots of cool things going on there. So we're very excited that uh, this is going to take place. So if that's a, a region that you uh, are interested in, you now have uh, that on the way. Another region is now open for our US government customers. This is the AWS GovCloud US East. And this is an Eastern US companion to the existing AWS GovCloud known as US West. So now you have another region to take advantage of if you have very specific requirements around US government certified workloads. So this is one of those ones that if you work in this space, you'll understand that this is really good. Uh, if you're not in that space, less relevant, but just be aware it's available and uh, it's available for use for those particular customers right now. Now, many of our customers like to reserve their Amazon EC2 capacity to make sure that they have the capacity they need when they need it for a specific workload or for availability requirements, etc. Now, in the past, to achieve a capacity reservation, you'd use some form of zonal reserved instances and commit to that capacity for a minimum of a year. There is now a new construct available to you, which are called on-demand capacity reservations. Now, with this, you can reserve the exact capacity you need in the location you need and keep it for as long as you need it. So it doesn't have to be for a year. So this gives you a lot more choices about how you organize your environment. You can still take advantage of regional RI discounts, but this really helps you deal with capacity reservations that are tied to a specific availability zone and specific running instances, etc. that suit your particular workload. 
So if you're in an environment that needs uh, high availability and you need to know capacity is available, this is a great construct for you to use. Another really important new thing for customers related to Amazon EC2 is the availability of some new instance types. These feature the 2.5 gigahertz AMD EPIC 7000 series processors. And these are a variant of the general purpose and memory optimized instance type. So it applies to the M5 and R5 instance families. So what these AMD-based instances do is give you some additional options if you're looking to achieve a 10% cost saving on your existing EC2 compute environment for a variety of workloads. So the M5A instances are really useful for business-critical applications, web and application, back-end server, gaming servers, caching fleets, development environments, whereas the R5As are really focused on high-performance databases, in-memory caches, some of the mid-size in-memory databases, real-time analytics, and other applications. These instances are available today in U.S. East North Virginia, U.S. East Ohio, U.S. West Oregon, Europe, Ireland, and Asia-Pacific Singapore, and more on the way. And you can use these instances on demand, reserved, or spot instances as well. So this is all about having a choice in your instance types and now your processor type as well. A couple of quick container-based updates. The Amazon ECS CLI now supports private registry authentication. So you don't need to create any AWS secrets anymore for your registry credentials. You can just go straight in using the CLI. And Amazon EKS, the Elastic Container Service for Kubernetes, now lets you create clusters in an Amazon VPC address with some additional IPv4 CIDR blocks. So you can use the 100.64.0.0-10 and 198.19.0.0 slash 16 ranges. And I know this is really relevant to a lot of customers who want to create uh, different sized EKS clusters, et cetera, and have some more choice in how they build it. You now have that choice easily available to you. And a quick update for the serverless developers amongst you, the AWS serverless application model now supports Amazon API Gateway authorizers. So now you can use a single setting in your SAM model to define the Amazon API Gateway authorizers so you can control who can access your Gateway APIs. Essentially, makes it easier, makes it quicker. That's always a good thing. Let's discuss the topic of cost management. This is something key to my heart because I always want AWS customers to be getting the absolute best value they can for what they do. And so there is now a new AWS Budgets console. And this gives you far more simplified budget creation workflows and a lot more contextual integration with the AWS Cost Explorer. It also gives you a much nicer dashboard experience to see your budgets. So using this creation workflow, you can now directly access all your historical data using the new Cost Explorer chart. You can see what amounts you want to set, set them to have alarms, get results, etc. It's very, very flexible and a nice, easy way to see what's going on. Also, the detail pages really give you a much better overview of your budget status and have been enhanced with the AWS Cost Explorer information to give you additional insights. So you can really be seeing your cost allocation from a variety of different dimensions. And also what's important is that all the AWS Budgets functionality can be accessed programmatically via the AWS Budgets API. So if what you're seeing on the budget screen does not do exactly what you want it to do, you can also augment it by tying into that API and building your own components too. So that's pretty good for a cost control perspective. If you are located in Europe, you can now use SEPA direct debit payments in Europe. So this means you can pay your AWS invoices from any bank account supporting the single euro payment area standard. Uh, it's simple as going to the payments method and choosing the correct components, links in the show notes. So this is really relevant to customers who pay in euros. So if that's a currency that you use, this will make life even easier for you. 
Now, longer-term listeners will know that the favorite topic of conversation for me on the podcast is helping customers save money and reducing prices. So I've got a few quick updates on that one. The Amazon API Gateway now has tiered pricing. So this means you can decrease your costs based upon the number of API requests you make per region across your AWS accounts. This new model offers you the ability to save as your use sheet scales in contrast with the previous pricing model which just charged a flat price per million per region per month for API requests. Now the more you scale, the lower your per request cost will be and you get price breaks at different locations. Links in the show notes to show what that may be but essentially you will be paying less based upon your usage. Another saving relates to the AWS IoT Core service. And what's taken place here is the ability to securely send large amounts of data at far lower cost. And this is using something called basic ingest. What this does is optimizes the data flow for high volume data ingestion workloads by removing the PubSub message broker from the ingestion path. So what this does is means you have a far more cost effective option to send device data to other services whilst getting the benefits of the security and data processing features for AWS IoT Core. So again, Take a look at the benefits of this, but essentially you reduce the need for any messaging charges, which means you'll get, again, a lower overall cost. Many customers have a number of AWS accounts all feeding into a single payer account. Now payer accounts can access all their linked accounts reserved instance purchase recommendations from a centralized view. So you can have a look at all the cost-saving opportunities on a per-account basis. So rather than seeing an aggregate view, you can see it by individual account. So this gives you, again, more insight into how you can save money. Also, you can now monitor your Amazon Elasticsearch reserved instance utilization and coverage using AWS budgets. So you can set your custom utilization and coverage amounts that you're comfortable with, and you can get alerted when you fall below the threshold that you define. So this allows you to understand where cost savings are available. So again, something to look into to make sure you're getting the absolute best value for money. And speaking of value for money, Amazon EC2 Spot is one of the best ways to save money on your workloads, particularly those that can cater for this type of deployment. The Amazon EC2 Spot Console now provides savings information for Spot instances launched in your account. So you can quickly see how much you're saving exactly over the on-demand prices. So this is really useful when you're doing internal showback of savings or you want to give someone an example or, or just quantify what benefit you're getting. This is now available in the console. Let's talk machine learning. So Amazon Translate is a neural machine translation service that allows you to do very fast, high quality and affordable language translation. Now the service has launched 113 new language pairs. So you can now translate between all the currently supported languages, so for example, French to Spanish, with just a single API request. What this does is it expands the number of supported language pairs from 24 to 137 total pairs. So this means instead of having to do an intermediate step, which a lot of customers were having to do, they're going maybe from French to English, then English to Spanish, you do it in one go. Lower cost, faster, very effective. And speaking of languages, Amazon Poly now adds Italian and Castilian Spanish voices and Mexican Spanish language support as well. So this expands some of the uh, capabilities uh, in addition to the existing Italian voices, which were Carla and Giorgio. We now have added a second female Italian voice and also there is a second female Castilian Spanish voice as well. And this really expands the portfolio, so now there are 57 voices across 28 languages. You may wonder why we have multiple voices per language, and that's because each one brings a different tone and a different suitability. So you may want a more formal speaker, a more relaxed speaker. You may want a male voice, a female voice. It really depends on your use case. It's also really useful if you're weaving this into other interactive tools as well. A really useful update for Amazon Recognition, which is a deep 
learning-based video and image analysis service, it can now do label detection. So what label detection does is it identifies objects and scenes in images, and in the past, recognition could tell you where that an image or an object was in an image, but it couldn't find exactly where the object was within the image. Now it will specify the location of common objects like dogs, people, cars, by returning the object bounding boxes. It also has significantly improved accuracy for all existing object and scene labels across a variety of different use cases. And also now you can use the bounding box information to infer how many of each object occurs in an image. So for example, there might be three dogs in an image or there might be a relationship between objects, so a dog on a couch, etc. This comes at no additional cost. It's just a great additional capability you can take advantage of now. Now, Amazon SageMaker is a hugely popular platform for people doing data science and analytics training models and getting those models into production. The team is always busy rolling in new features because people who are using it have some great ideas and things they want to do. Amazon SageMaker now supports pipe mode for data sets in CSV format. What this does is speeds up how quick data can be streamed from the Amazon Simple Storage Service into SageMaker by up to 40%. If we know one thing, training quicker is training better because you can do more training runs. The SageMaker Batch Transform now supports AWS KMS-based encryption, so you can encrypt what you're doing with the Batch Transform jobs, and you can use those encryption keys to protect the storage volumes used during those jobs, so that security element is ticked very strongly. And you can now clone a hyperparameter tuning job through the Amazon SageMaker console as well. So you can run multiple jobs using the same parameters. You don't have to set them up in a tedious and time-consuming way. You can just clone them very, very quickly. SageMaker also now supports Apache MXNet 1.3 and TensorFlow 1.11. So this gives you additional enhancements of capabilities in those particular libraries. It also supports incremental learning for image classification and object detection algorithms as well. And SageBatch Transform also now supports Amazon Virtual Private Cloud. So that means that the... Uh, resources that you use, so the simple storage service buckets and the uh, compute controls, etc., the network can all be within your VPC. And you can, of course, monitor that traffic in and out of your model containers using VPC flow logs as well. If, however, you're using the AWS Deep Learning AMI, so you're really getting into the, the depths of the ML world, uh, they've been updated and they now come with Chainer 5.0, which includes support for Python 3.6 and iDeep 2.0. And it also offers an optimized build of Chainer 5.0 that are tuned and configured for high-performance deep learning on the EC2 CPU, high CPU and GPU instances as well. This is inclusive of other popular frameworks that we support, including TensorFlow, PyTorch, Apache MXNet, etc., all tuned to work the best possible way on EC2 instances, particularly those high CPU and GPU instances. And if you'd like to look at an end-to-end -end solution around machine learning, we've now introduced a new solution for telecommunication. And this provides a framework for an end-to-end -end machine learning process to do ad hoc data exploration, data processing, feature engineering, model training, and evaluation. It provides you with a synthetic telecom IP data record or IPDR data set to show how you can use machine learning algorithms to test and train models for predictive analysis in telecommunications. So this is really useful both as a training exercise, but also as a basis for building your own workflows as well. Let's talk storage. Amazon EFS, the Elastic File System, now supports AWS VPN and inter-region VPC peering. So this is really useful when you're trying to have frequently accessed data copied between environments, etc., or you want to do synchronization for data recovery. This is now available to you. Also, they've increased the 
number of locks per file up from 87 locks per file to 512 locks per file. So that increases your ability to have high levels of concurrency and better performance. The Amazon S3 team has also been busy. They've updated the management console, so it's available in five new languages, Spanish, Italian, German, traditional Chinese, and Portuguese. So now the S3 console supports 10 different languages as well. So you can use the language that is most native to you. And if you're a user of Amazon Elastic Block Store or Amazon EBS, you might be using the Amazon Data Lifecycle Manager. Now it adds support for copying EBS volume tags to the snapshots as well. So you can essentially easily set snapshot metadata like access policies, etc., that match the parent volume. So this may help you with uh, managing your workflow. You can also disable those at a later date as well. Shifting to the networking world, uh, very pleased to announce the general availability of Bring Your Own IP for Amazon Virtual Private Cloud. And a lot of customers have wanted this for a while, and that's why we built it. You can now bring your own IP address prefix and use them with your AWS resources such as EC2 instances, network load balancers, NAT gateways, etc. Basically, the Elastic IP addresses you create from Bring Your Own IP address prefix works exactly the same as the Elastic IPs you get from Amazon, but you control which addresses they are. And this is really useful if you can't change the IP addresses you need to refer to, etc. This feature is now publicly available in US East North Virginia, US East Ohio, and the US West Oregon regions. Lots more information on the documentation, but this is one I know a lot have been waiting for. There is a new portal available for people who want to use the Amazon API Gateway service. This is called the Serverless Developer Portal. This is a hub that empowers API publishers to connect with API subscribers who want to discover and use APIs in the applications they build. So this is basically a catalog of published APIs and associated documentation that lets you do self-service discovery and onboarding. You can customize it for branding. You can use customized domain name, domain names, I should say, logos, styling updates, etc. It's uh, secured by Amazon Cognito. Lots of other really cool capabilities. The use of API keys. It's a very, very interesting way to present your APIs to others and consume APIs as well. Another big update is Amazon API Gateway now has support for AWS WAF. So this means you can put a Amazon Web Application Firewall in front essentially of your Amazon API gateway to protect it from attacks like SQL injection, cross-site scripting, etc. You can also filter your web requests based on IP address, geographic area, request size, regular expression patterns using rules. You can put conditions in a whole bunch of locations and you can deal with common threats like OWASP top 10, security risks, CVE exposures, etc., etc. Lots of cool benefits there. Also, from a network perspective, Amazon CloudFront is announcing six new edge locations across North America, Europe, and Asia, in particular Hyderabad, New Delhi, and London, as well as Hillsborough. And what this does is will increase the average request processing capacity from a CloudFront perspective in India and the United Kingdom by up to 55%. One of the most recent updates that uh, I was really impressed with myself is Amazon Route 53. It now provides an interactive map for traffic flow geoproximity routing. Try and say that three times fast. Basically, what it lets you do is see the uh, location of your users and the location of traffic and set rules appropriately based on what you can physically see on the interactive map. Uh, this is one of the things that really doesn't lend itself to the podcasting format. This is one that you need to jump into the console and have a look at yourself, but it is a very cool new capability. Let's move over to the database world. Lots of changes there. Amazon Elasticache, it now supports the next generation general purpose and memory optimized Amazon EC2 M5 and R5 nodes. 
So this is often useful if you want to run your application at high performance and lower cost. Moving to the latest and greatest generation typically gives you a nice bump from that perspective. Also now there is Redis 5.0 compatibility for Amazon Elasticash, which brings a whole bunch of cool new capabilities for those who use that particular platform. For customers using Amazon RDS, you could stop and start single instances before. Well, now you can do that same thing for multi-AZ database instances. So if you're using Amazon RDS for MySQL, MariaDB, PostgreSQL, and Oracle, you can now stop and start database instances that are running a multi-AZ configuration. So this means you can use that configuration for dev and test purposes that may look exactly like production, but stop them. Now remember, you can stop a database instance for up to seven days at a time, and after seven days, it'll automatically be started, and that's to keep it fresh and up to date. Another really significant update is Amazon RDS for MySQL, MariaDB, and PostgreSQL now supports a database storage size of up to 32 tibibytes. So this is increased from 16 tibibytes, so you can really get those large, chunky databases up there and working really effectively. This supports both provisioned IOPS and general purpose SSD storage types as well. So if you have those databases that you thought that'd be really good to put on RDS, but it's just too big because it was more than 16 tibibytes, guess what? You can now go up to 32. A lot of great new version support as well for Amazon RDS. It now supports MySQL 8.0, which is the latest major version release. I know it has a lot of cool new capabilities that people want to use, particularly some of the GIS improvements as well. It also now supports MariaDB 10.3, which is the latest major version of that platform. And PostgreSQL 11 is also available in the RDS database preview environment. Now, remember that allows you to do development, performance testing, and kind of pre-deployment testing as well. There are also some enhancements for SQL Server backup and restore. So now you can restore a backup file to the same database instance that was used to create the file, and you can restore the same backup file to a DB instance multiple times. This gives you a lot of different capabilities when using SQL Server in your restore profile and your disaster recovery profiles as well. So it can affect your workflow in a really positive way. And you can read a bit more detail about that in the specific blog post for that. RDS for Oracle now also supports the M5 instance type, which is really useful for a lot of customers who want a bit better price performance compared to the M4 instance type as well. Uh, remember that these instance types have the Elastic Network Adapter, NVM Express technology for high throughput, low latency interfaces, up to 25 gig of network capacity, and up to 10 gig of dedicated bandwidth for database storage. So it's a really great performance option. Speaking of performance, RDS Performance Insights is generally available on RDS for Oracle. Now, this is a really advanced and useful database performance monitoring feature that lets you figure out what's going on in your database. Uh, it has a free tier with seven days of data retention and a paid long-term data retention option. And what this does is gives you a really easy interface to see what might be going on with your database. Are your queries running long? Do you have storage issues, etc.? Uh, you can also use this with Amazon Aurora, Postgres uh, as well, Amazon Aurora with MySQL compatibility, RDS for PostgreSQL and RDS for MySQL. So Oracle now joins that as well. So really good to get those insights. And two more updates for Amazon RDS for Oracle. It now supports Oracle Java, so you can use the JVM option, which allows you to facilitate Oracle Java features in Oracle databases. Lots of technical documentation around that. And it also now supports extended data types. So this lets users increase the maximum size of Varchar2, our old friend, in Varchar2 and raw columns to 32,767 bytes. 
And if you're an Amazon RDS user, you can now send events to Amazon CloudWatch events. So this allows you to both track and respond to changes in your Amazon RDS resources. So the types of things that will be published include database instances, clusters, parameter groups, snapshots, and you can then create those rules to do different things based upon things happening at the database level. So this is pretty cool and something I expect to see a lot of customers building some really interesting integrations around. If you're an Amazon RDS for SQL Server user, then you now have the option to use always-on availability groups for the multi-AZ configuration in all AWS regions. So what this does is helps you meet the requirements of enterprise-grade production workloads on SQL Server. So some instructions on how to set this up and get it going linked in the show notes, but this is really useful if you're a SQL Server user. This is probably very relevant to you. And finally, from a database perspective, Amazon Aurora with Postgres now has IAM authentication support. So you can now choose to use IAM for database user authentication by simply choosing a checkbox when you do the DB cluster creation process. You can also modify existing DB clusters to enable this type of authentication as well. Makes managing your credentials much, much easier. Let's talk management tools. And CloudFormation is one of my favorite services, as you probably all know by now. It really helps you implement infrastructure as code by templating your infrastructure. Well, CloudFormation now has drift detection. And this allows you to detect when someone has changed something you've defined in a CloudFormation template in some other way. So maybe they've jumped into the console and done something, issued a command line uh, request, etc. You can now detect drift and you can remediate it really, really easily. This is super powerful and super beneficial for a lot of customers that will be wanting this for a long time. Now, this is, has a strong set of initial resources that are supported, but it's not all of the resources. Uh, at launch, it'll have things like uh, API Gateway, Auto Scaling, CloudTrail, CloudWatch Events, CloudWatch Logs, DynamoDB, uh, EC2, ELB, IM, IoT, Lambda, RDS, Route 53, S3, SNS, and SQS, just to name a few. And there'll be lots more coming very, very soon. So this will be really important if you are a CloudFormation user. Something else that might be relevant to you if you are of the console persuasion is there is a new AWS CloudFormation console. This makes it easier to set up your CloudFormation stacks and your stack sets. You can opt in to the new experience by visiting the existing console and uh, the team love to get your feedback. There's a feedback link in the new console. You can send feedback to the team so they can iterate appropriately. Also, some additional resources being uh, supported for CloudFormation, Amazon Secrets Manager, API Gateway, RDS, Route 53, and CloudWatch Alarms all have either new or additional support. So if there's something you couldn't do before, you might be able to do it now. Also, things like workspaces as well. So take a look at that. Also, support for Amazon Data Lifecycle Management Policies has been built in as well, which makes it easy to automate whole workflows from creation to deletion. And if you're building CloudFormation templates, you should probably be testing those. And there's a new quick start available that will build a CI/CD pipeline to test AWS CloudFormation templates using AWS TaskCat. Now, TaskCat is an open source tool that tests AWS CloudFormation templates. Basically, it creates stacks in multiple AWS regions simultaneously and it gives you a report of a pass-fail grade for each region. This allows you to do a whole raft of different tests, and of course, you can expand upon that as well. From a monitoring perspective, Amazon CloudWatch Events now lets you share events across all accounts in an organization. So what this means is you don't have to specify multiple accounts in the event bus policy statements. You can now just say, hey, give me everything in my organization. Also, as I mentioned before, you can use AWS CloudFormation templates to provision those event bus policies as well. 
And the last change from a management perspective is you can now monitor security events of your AWS managed Microsoft AD using Amazon CloudWatch logs. So now when particular events take place, you can forward those security event logs from your directory to Amazon CloudWatch logs, and that makes it easy to centrally monitor and configure alerts and do proactive activities based upon things that are happening in the real time. Some quick updates in the business productivity side. If you're an Amazon WorkDocs user, you can now control the IP addresses that can access your site. So this is really useful for whitelisting particular access, corporate networks, etc. Alexa for Business now enables third-party device makers to have their products be managed as shared devices. So now you can have a broader variety of built-in devices to be used within your organization. More links in the show notes about how that works. If you're more focused on the streaming of applications, Amazon AppStream 2.0 is probably of interest and it now has CloudFormation support and also user pool APIs. So it makes it much easier to build out those environments. And one last update for Amazon WorkDocs. Amazon WorkDocs Drive is now available for Mac users. So if you're a Mac user like me, you now have a user drive where you can access all of your files on demand. Now let's talk security because that is a really important thing to build into your applications at every single stage. An update to the AWS Firewall Manager, it now supports multiple AWS WEF rule groups. So this means you can have more flexibility about how you build those uh, particular rule sets. And you can also use managed rules in conjunction with custom WEF rules as well across all your AWS accounts. So for example, you can deploy the OWASP top 10 managed rule groups from the marketplace with a set of your own custom WEF rules as well that may be specific to you. So for example, blacklisting particular IP addresses, etc. This is a new feature available at no additional cost, so this gives you even more flexibility to build out your protection profile. Quick update for AWS Single Sign-On. It now lets you optimize how long you can access your AWS accounts. So now you can customize session duration from one hour to 12 hours. This is really important because you want to have people have access for things as long as they need them and no longer. They've also added uh, more pre-integrated business applications to the offering. So uh, you can have uh, things like Evernote, Datadog, and JFrog Artifactory, which expands the uh, existing list of things like Salesforce, Google Suite, Microsoft Office 365, etc. Big list for that in the show notes. Now, I've managed to uh, sneak in a co- another cost-saving uh, component but in the security conversation. So Amazon GuardDuty is a great service that allows you to proactively monitor your environment for risks and events that are taking place. And the team have optimized the way AWS CloudTrail analysis takes place to reduce cost for you. Now, it'll vary customer by customer based upon the volume of the AWS CloudTrail logs. But essentially, anyone with high volumes of global CloudTrail events will see the greatest net positive impact. And this is a continuous iteration we're doing to make sure that we're optimizing the way the service works to reduce your cost of operation on an ongoing basis. Now, if you haven't tried Amazon Guard Duty, you should, and you can immediately start a 30-day free trial if you want to see if it has any benefit. Now, if you're already using Amazon Guard Duty, you automatically get the cost savings from this change. You don't have to do anything, but it's a nice benefit to have. Two very cool updates for Amazon Inspector. Amazon Inspector now offers agentless network assessments with the Network Reachability Rules Package. What this does is identifies ports and services on your Amazon EC2 instances that are accessible from outside your VPC. So you can do this without having to install any agents, etc. You get a very simple view, very straightforward to see if there are any vulnerabilities. Another quick update, uh, Amazon Inspector now has uh, Amazon EC2 instance details in the security findings. So you can figure out exactly what's going on and where very, very quickly. It includes things like the Amazon machine image ID, instance tags, autoscaling group, host name, IP addresses, DNS names, 
and the subnet ID of the EC2 instance that has the vulnerability or insecure configuration. So you can triage and fix very, very quickly. A couple of other quick security updates. If you use the centralized logging solution that basically automatically provisions the services necessary to collect, analyze, and display logs across multiple accounts and multiple regions. This now leverages Amazon Cognito for user authentication, so it makes it even easier to secure that. And if you're using the AWS Key Management Service, it now has a new console experience. So this now separates AWS Managed Keys from Custom Managed Keys within your accounts and gives you far more powerful search and filtering capabilities. So it lets you manage hundreds or even thousands of keys. We know our customers like to create lots of keys and we want to make it even easier. Again, you can grab that new console experience now from within the console. And of course, you can provide feedback about whether you think it was better than the old one. Moving now to analytics, Amazon QuickSight has some updates. It includes uh, top-end filters, cascading parameter controls, and JSON parsing. So essentially, you can visualize on-demand far more information than ever before and visualize it in a more effective way. In fact, I use Amazon QuickSight to look at the download statistics for the podcast. So I'm a customer myself. Also, if you're using Elastic MapReduce, it now supports a public EMR artifact repository for Maven builds. More links in the show notes about why that's important. It also now supports the G3, H1, and Z1D instances as well. So you have access to lots and lots of compute capacity of different kinds. Everyone's use case is different. So having a choice in the worker nodes that you want to create can make for really efficient and cost-effective processing at scale. EMR also now supports Flink 1.6.0, Zeppelin 0.8.0, and S3 Select with Hive and Presto as well. So way more choices in terms of frameworks and the ability to access data. Another quick update on the streaming side is that the Amazon Kinesis agent for Microsoft Windows is available, and this allows you to stream data from those Microsoft Windows-based services into AWS for monitoring, analysis, and visualization. So this is really great if you're operating in a Windows ecosystem. You can now grab that uh, agent for free it's available on GitHub and also from the download pages linked in the show notes. And an update around customer engagement. If you're using Amazon Pinpoint or want to engage with your end customers really effectively, it now has added support for transactional emails. So this augments the existing campaign-based email sending features to be a useful tool for ad hoc messaging. So things like order confirmations, password resets, etc. You can now also now lease dedicated IP addresses from Amazon Pinpoint for an additional charge, and this gives you even more control over the deliverability of your emails. And of course, there's now new out-of-the-box analytics reports built in to see the impact that your emails have on your customers' behaviors. So this can help you improve your email sending and make better decisions around how you engage with your particular users via emails. So with this release, you can now send transactional messages across email, SMS and push notification channels so you can give your customers the right message at the right time in the right channel that they would like. And the last update for today is around application integration. There are lots and lots of uh, services that have entered new regions and it's always good to check the region availability list to see the latest and greatest. I don't cover most of them in the podcast, otherwise I would add another 20, 30 minutes to it. But I did want to mention that the Amazon Simple Queuing Service first-in, first-out queues are now available in Asia-Pacific Tokyo and Asia-Pacific Sydney regions as well. So if you've been waiting for that particular capability because of your specific use case, that is now available in your region. Basically, it's the same features as standard queues, but it provides the added benefits of supporting ordering and exactly once processing, which for some use cases is kind of a deal breaker. So that's available in even more regions than ever. 
Wow, this still took a long time, didn't it? <laughs> I'll continue to work on how to optimize this. We may even move to two update shows. I'd love to get your feedback. AWS podcast at amazon.com. If you want to give us a review on the various podcatchers, please do. We've also increased the number of podcatchers we're on. You should be able to see the podcast on Google Play as well. And I really look forward to seeing as many of you as possible at reInvent in a week's time. And until next time, keep on building.